Welcome to All Road 65 Max Radio, where the road ahead gets brighter as we journey toward truth, traveling through our dreams and inspiration into a new reality. It's time, and your ticket is waiting. All aboard All Roads Lead 65 Max with Pamela Henderson. Thank you for joining me on BBS Radio, All Roads Lead 65 Max Radio. I am your host, Pamela L. Henderson. My focus is my mission statement to help create a quality of life through social growth, inspiring jewels to become leaders by establishing partnerships with corporations, nonprofits, donors, sponsors, volunteers, and the community and abroad. Please join me every other Tuesday at noon on BBS Radio, All Roads Lead, 65 Max Radio. My special guest today is Mrs. Rona Weinberg. A former public defender, author, and psychology today. She is an award-winning author and founding member of a literary journal highlights both the joys and limitations of love, desires and coming together and breaking apart of relationships, marriage, betrayal, divorce, aging, illness, loss, <laughs> including a fresh start that dominates concerns, large and small, and artifacts and other stories. At last, thank you for this interview chance, Ms. Weinberg, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Pamela. I'm happy <laughs> to be here. You're so welcome. So how is everything going and where are you located? Um, I'm in New York City. And oh, okay. yeah, and where are you? I should ask. I'm in California. Oh, uh-huh. how nice. I am in California. Yes, we've been having some pretty good weather here. It was hot a few days ago and then it got a little windy and everything, but most part, it is not raining. Oh, great. Yeah, <laughs> and we've also had really good weather. Excuse me for one second. Alexa, stop. Sorry. That was, oh, a timer. Okay. <laughs> that was a timer. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but actually, we've been having good weather, too. It did rain over the weekend a little bit, but now it's beautiful. So that's good. Nice. Good. I've been to New York. As a matter of fact, I've been to the Carnegie Hall, and that's when I first met Bob Proctor and Les Brown and others. I tell you, it was the best time of my life. And, you know, it was at a time when things were just not going well. And I was invited by Les Brown and I went and it just changed my life. So that's yeah. wonderful. That's really, <laughs> it sounds terrific. Absolutely. So we have a lot to discuss. And um, my first question to you, I had wrote a lot of questions down and I just wanted to chat a little bit. You're a very interesting, powerful woman. And um, I want to, I want to pick that brain as I can. Okay. That sounds great. <laughs> so tell me, you were a public defender. What made you change careers? Well, you know, I loved being a lawyer. It was very interesting, but I always wanted to write. And I felt that um, when I was practicing law, especially when I was being a public defender, 
there was really no time to write. It was difficult. Although I used to sit in the courtroom when I was waiting for cases and I would write about what was happening because it was so interesting to me. So many stories unfolded um, every day in the courtroom. So the reason I changed is because I had a desire to write and the kind of writing that I did for law wasn't creative enough. And I just felt a draw to do creative writing. Oh, yeah, that is true. When you have a calling, you want to stick to that calling. So that is so true. So I've, I've been reading about you. And like I said, you're very interesting. However, you, okay, you say in some of your messages that how we confront making decisions and living with those choices. Can you explain about that? Yes. Um, when we confront making decisions, it's actually a big moment in our lives because whether the decisions are small or whether they're large, they affect us and they also affect our relationships. I deal with this in Artifacts and Other Stories. Various characters have to make decisions about their lives. There's one uh, story called Dislocation. And in that, a family moves from Boston to Tennessee and the woman, Laurel, realizes that there are problems in her marriage. They have children who, three children who range from nine to about 14. And during the story, she decides that she's not happy with the marriage and she wants to leave it. But because her children are young, she's not going to leave it yet. So she's making a choice in her mind and really a choice to take a big risk, but she's putting it off. She's not doing it at this moment. Also, in some of the blogs that I've written for Psychology Today, I've dealt with choices. One of them is called The Nature of Choice and Relationships. That's the name of the, the essay that I wrote. And in that, I talk about how, again, the choices we make, even the tiniest choice we make in a relationship affects the course of our relationship. And sometimes our choices just aren't conscious. And we make these choices, or our partner does, for reasons that we don't understand. Um, but we make them anyway. That is so true. That is so true. You know, I had to really learn <clears throat> to be patient with myself. And also, I had to learn how to compromise. I come to find I was a little selfish in my own way. <laughs> so that is so true. Thank you so much. Now, how do we choose and shape the next chapter in our life? And especially when we have gone through some turmoil, some challenges and obstacles and even divorce. Yes, we we have to ch choose and shape the next chapter of our lives because life is always changing. Life is so fluid. So we actually don't have a choice. We, we have to move forward. And the way to make choices and to shape the next chapter of our life is really by taking risks because we don't know what's going to happen. You know, the, the future is just an unknown. We can all think about it and, you know, surmise what will happen, but we just don't know. So what we have to do when we are shaping the next chapter is to take a risk, really listen to our gut and take a risk based on that. And in the book, Artifacts and Other Stories, Characters do that. They have to take risks in their lives and they don't know which direction, you know, that risk will take them, whether it's ending a relationship or beginning a relationship, getting married. Um, you just don't know what the course of 
a marriage will be or the course of life will be after you end a relationship. Now that is, that is so, that is true. That is true. And I know I'm a risk taker. I have really, I mean, Jesus, I have really taken myself through some challenges and just taking the risk itself has been overwhelming. So yes, you are, you are absolutely right. So tell me, do you have any spiritual disciplines in place as when you write your artifacts and your short stories and well, I, you know, I try to, um, I try to go deep in myself. So in a sense, I guess that's a spiritual practice. I really, you know, try to go deep into myself and into the characters. I try to enter the hearts and minds of the characters and really not be distracted by social media or reading the newspaper or whatever else is going on in the world. I just need quiet and I try to connect, um, with the characters. And when I really connect with them in a way, that feels spiritual to me because I feel I'm able to access who they are, or I try to access who they are and to access their deep emotions. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, the key actually for me in terms of writing a short, short story and accessing the character's emotions is if I access those emotions in myself. So if I'm writing and I feel sad, if I can find those feelings in myself, I'm hopeful that I can give those feelings to the character and then the reader in turn will experience those feelings when he or she reads a story. Yeah, I know we talked about psychology today, but I'm going to go back to that a little bit because you are a former lawyer, a blogger for psychology today. Rona, you was an award, you received a, a prestigious award for fellowship in fiction from the New York Foundation for the Arts. Tell me about that. Well, that was actually, it's a little bit like your moment when you went to New York. It was, <laughs> it was a great moment because, you know, as a writer, um, I and other people, you're, you're, you, you, um, you apply for awards, you submit your work, and, and it's very hard to get published and it's really hard to get awards. And I had to submit a story for this award and when I received a letter in those days, I received, you know, you received letters. It wasn't by email right. that I had gotten the award. I, I couldn't believe it. You know, it was just such a wonderful moment because the award comes with um, they give you money and, you know, a certain amount of money and you don't have to do anything for it. You actually just have to present your work once. And the purpose of the award is really to encourage you and spotlight your work and to, you know, affirm that you are writing good work. So it was just a terrific moment. And um, there was a reception, you know, with some of the other people who had won the award because they give awards in fiction, poetry, screenwriting, dance, and, you know, other areas as well. And it was just, it was a wonderful experience. And in the same sense that your trip to New York changed your life, it changed mine because it gave me so much confidence and really joy that, you know, someone... Um, had really been drawn to my work. Beautiful. And that is so true. So why do we need a manual for love and marriage and another to navigate desire? 
I thought that was very interesting when I when you made that statement. I'm like, I gotta ask her that question. <laughs> well, you know, I think the thing about love and desire is that it's very personal. And so in a sense, we're all navigating it on ourselves. In in the book Artifacts and Other Stories, the characters are trying to figure out what to do with desire and love. And um, it always amazes me that there's so many technological advances in our world and we have manuals for them because technological advances are based on fact and ob- objectivity, but desire and love are based on human emotion. They come from the heart and the mind. And yes. we don't, we just don't have any manuals for that. Psychology, psychologists have learned, you know, much more about love and relationships but they can't give anyone a blueprint for how to, you know, have a relationship. It's it's just not possible. Each person navigates it on his or her own. And it would be wonderful if there was a manual because we're all floundering at times. We, we, it's difficult to, to know which way to go sometimes with relationships and desire. Yeah. So tell me more about the book. Tell us about the book. Okay, great. Thanks for asking. Um, the book, as you said, is uh, looks. There are fourteen short stories, and they look at the joys and limitations of love, and the coming together and breaking apart of relationships. And they, the stories look at love and desire, marriage, betrayal, divorce, illness, aging, and as you said, loss and fresh starts. And the characters in the book, many of the characters are women, and the characters really are middle-aged and older. I was interested in writing about um, middle-aged and older people because I believe that at any age you can experience love and desire, whether you're 30 or whether you're 80. And so many books are written about younger people. I wanted to explore um, the lives of people who are a little older because I believe you can have a full life at any age. Um, And the book... uh, was a finalist in the Eric Hoffer Book Award for the Eric Hoffer Book Award, which was terrific. And it was oh, also long thank you. And it was long listed for another award, um, the Shelf Unbound Best Indie Book Award. So I was thrilled that the book was acknowledged in that way. Um, and the other thing about the stories is that my hope is that the stories reflect the fluidity of the modern world, of our contemporary world. Relationships are in flux. There's a lot of divorce, and there are often painful side effects of divorce. Um, people are searching for love, and they have the ability to reshape the next chapter of their lives. So in the stories, this is what the various characters are doing. For example, in one story um, called Sleuth, uh, the character Helen is having an affair. She's a um, was married. Now she's divorced, and she's having an affair with a married man. And she writes about that, or I write about it. You know, as, as about <laughs> right. the character. She's not writing. <laughs> I'm writing about it. So I'm you know telling the story. And then um, in another story called Modern Woman, um, the main character Angela discovers that her husband is having an affair with someone else, and she has to navigate that in her life. How does she deal with that? So you see the ramifications of, you know, that sort of betrayal from different viewpoints. Wow. Yeah, okay. In your opinion, why should someone risk heartbreak to find love? Love is a, a wonderful, wonderful feeling and emotion and experience. 
And you have to risk heartbreak because there's no other way to find love. There's no guarantees again in life. And um, if you're going to fall in love, you don't know what's going to happen, what the result will be. So you really have to be able to risk heartbreak and just take risks to put yourself out there, to be vulnerable, to be open to someone else um, in order to find love. And you may or may not. (laughs) But, you know, if you're not vulnerable and you're not open, then you never will reach the other person and the other person won't reach you. And that's always a risk. Yes. And I tell you, you have to, you have to really be strong mentally because making that statement says a lot because when we do face heartbreak, and especially when it comes to divorce, cheating, or any of those particular issues, it can make you or break you. That's right. I mean, it, it can make you or break you. And you can find yourself on the couch with two, three psychologists, and you need a whole <laughs> army of people to help you move forward. You know, and I don't know if it's because women, we are emotional creatures and we love so hard. And when we feel that betrayal, we tend to think it's just, you know, we can't get back up. It's the end of the world. That's how it feels like. End of the world. Because I think many women, most women really open, you know, when they're in love, we open our hearts, you know, completely open our hearts. And it's so difficult when it doesn't work out and you're right you have to be so strong you know if you're gonna entertain falling in love because sometimes it doesn't work out and sometimes you just can't take it personally again you know when I was talking about choices being conscious and unconscious your partner let's say you're involved with the man you're involved with um may make choices based on his unconscious he can't even tell you why he's making the choices he is so um, you know, we have to learn not to take it personally, which is really, really tough. Yeah, of course. Rona, that is very tough not to take it personal. I know. I, mean... <laughs> I know. I actually, I, I read a book once about, um, I don't remember the name of it, but it was about infidelity. And um, uh, it was written by a psychologist. And, and in the book, she said, there are all these, there are different kinds of infidelity. It was sort of like the four kinds of food groups. Mm-hmm. And she said in a certain kind of infidelity, don't take it personally. You know, it was like accidental. It was, it was very funny. But it, <laughs> it was hard to integrate. It's hard to really believe that. So tell me, are, are you mar- currently married now? And have you been through some heartbreaks? Is this, he, this is how you came up with these learning lessons for us? Well, exactly. I mean, I've experienced this myself. I'm divorced after a long marriage. And that was difficult because we have three children. And um, so I understand the heartbreak and the difficulties of ending a relationship, whether it's divorce or just ending a relationship you've been in. And that is one of the reasons that I wrote the stories, because um, I understood the feelings and I wanted to explore different points of view and Um, people at different stages in life, what happens when a relationship ends, what happens if you fall in love again, or if you're looking for love again. So um, I felt that I could access emotions based on my own experiences, and also based on um, what I've seen in the world around me and on the experiences that family and friends have related. So for all those reasons, 
I decided to write this book. Wow. And what kind of reviews have you been getting? Well, I've, I've been really happy. I've gotten some wonderful reviews. Um, the U.S. Review said that I was a wonderful storyteller, said Weinberg is a wonderful storyteller, which is terrific, you know, which is wonderful to hear. And um, uh, Publishers Weekly said that the book hummed with originality and uniqueness and energy. So I was okay. really thrilled about that. Um, and Kirk's review said the writing was very strong and that um, the reviewer felt that the book would really help and appeal to women who've gone through certain, you know, similar things, who've been through the ending of relationships, starting new relationships at different points in life. So I've just been thrilled with the reviews. I've been very happy. Good. Congratulations. Thank you. Now I'm going to go back because I'm still picking your brain here. Yeah. What is your advice for navigating the relationships with people that we love and who can hurt us the most? I have to ask you that again. I know I kind of like put it in differently because I'm really trying to understand because I also mentor young girls and, you know, they think they're in love all the time. Mm -hmm. And so we tend to have these discussions and I want to make sure that I am going to give them some fair advice. So can you tell, can you explain that to me? Yeah, it's wonderful that you mentor young girls and, and young women. Thank uh, you. Because I think that's young women and young girls need mentoring. You know, they really. Yeah, really we do. Run. Even I do. I, I know. Mean, and that's I why know. I have you on here. So you yeah. are mentoring me right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So in terms of, so the question is how to navigate our relationships. Yes. You know, it's very tricky because every relationship is unique. And so we really have to understand what the other person is like, you know, the person that we love or that we're developing a relationship with is like, and what pushes that person's buttons. So, you know, what might, what we can do that might upset that person may not upset another person, but we have to deal with the person that we're involved with. So we have to really be alert and understand who the other person is and also who we are and who we are together in the relationship. And you mentioned compromise before. Compromise is a really important part of a relationship. Not giving up your power or your opinion, but knowing that being right isn't always the best thing. You know, sometimes people say, do you want to be right or do you want to be loved? And I, I think that's a good thing to remember because sometimes it's just not worth arguing about things, not to submit, but just in the service of the relationship and the service of compromising. So I think navigating a relationship involves a lot of compromise, a lot of sensitivity to the other person and to you yourself. And also, again, to taking risks, you know, be able to take risks in that relationship, be vulnerable and have some clear boundaries so that um, if the other person seems to be wanting you to do things you don't want to do or you don't believe in, have faith in yourself and know what your limits are. Yeah. Okay. Great advice. Why do you feel that literary work <laughs> The authenticity that tackles relationships with emotional truth and conviction. 
I think that uh, literature is a wonderful place to learn about life. And um, when I write my short stories and when I wrote this book, as I was telling you, I try to feel the emotions myself of the characters and put that into the characters. And in a sense, writing is a little bit like acting. Because for me, I'm not the characters in Artifacts and Other Stories. I may have experienced some of the things that they've experienced and felt those feelings, but not in the same way. But I have to be like an actor and figure out what the different characters would be feeling. So I have to step into someone else's shoes, into someone else's heart and mind. And then I try to to invite the reader to step into that world. And by reading, uh, we can develop empathy for other people, for what they're experiencing, for their heartbreak, for their difficulties, for their journey in life. So it's important to to read about emotions that other people feel, even if we're not feeling them ourselves, because it helps us develop empathy. And it may help us if we ever do have to face those same emotions. We may be able to think about what we read and be changed by what we've read. Okay. Now, as I stated, I mentor girls and I help teach customer service skills. But my focus are girls who have behavioral problems uh-huh. or behavioral issues. Because I believe that mental illness and behavioral problems are two different concerns. Even though they do have similarities, right. but they're still two different concerns. You study psychology. And per your opinion, as I stated, I believe that behavioral problems and mental illness are two different issues. In your opinion about behavioral problems, how do you think someone can overcome bad habits before it is considered to be identified as a mental health issue? That's a great question because sometimes bad behavior is a bad habit, or it's because a parent didn't really give the child enough structure or good advice, um, and or allowed the child just to do this habitual behavior without, you know, interjecting some sort of parental advice or even parental limits. Um, so I think it's important to help the child identify what the behaviors are. Uh, what are the behaviors that are difficult behaviors to understand why they're difficult and to give the child some kind of coping um, skills so that the okay. child knows how to cope. You can't just say to a child or a girl or, you know, even a young adult, stop doing that. You have to give, right. you have to give someone some sort of ways to cope with it, you know, and some sort of ways to manage it. It's almost like teaching the child or the person some self-talk, you know, so that yes. the person can interject um, uh, another self, not not truly another self, but, um, you know, a little bit of wisdom to have the wisdom inside to be able to structure yourself. So I think you've got to help the child find that and give the child the skills. Absolutely. I totally agree. Now, still staying with that particular question, what about dealing with someone who has anger management problems that can't compromise because of 
things that are, you know, held inside, not being able to express themselves without yelling. And these are some of the issues that I know that girls have when they have boyfriends. And this is what causes domestic violence. Can you give me any suggestion how to have that conversation with them when they bring up the issue, especially those of domestic violence? So when they bring up the issue, they're talking about their partner who may have anger, manage, anger management problems. That's that's really tough. Um, I think that the girls and young women need to be taught skills, you know, some skills so that they themselves can deal with the anger. So, you know, for example, if a partner is being abusive, rather than getting locked into an argument with him, you know, maybe the best thing to say is, I don't want to talk to you like that unless you can talk about it in a different way, or I'm going to calm give you some time to calm down. You know, some skills like that. On the other hand, that may not work with some people who have really terrible anger management problems. Um, so in that case, someone might need professional help. I mean, either the partner, and if the partner is unwilling, then the young woman might need some help to develop skills on her own, you know, to develop her own skills to deal with it and also to develop some insights so that at a certain point she might have the insight to say, you know, I'm not going to be able to manage this. He, he's not willing to change. And is this something that I really want to take on or continue, you know, if, if she's in a position to, to stop. I mean, if you have a family, it's, it's much more complicated. You, you can't just, walk away from the relationship in the same way. But um, someone who would give the young woman some sort of skills and strength and help to find insight for her so that she understands the situation and just helps her figure out ways to deal with it. That's all a part about customer service skills because customer service skills, it doesn't matter that when you're working, it's about how we communicate with one another. That's and right. that's the reason why I help teach and I help get, you know, especially girls to understand it's, it doesn't matter what we do. It's how we're communicating. It doesn't matter if you're angry with someone or if you're happy with someone. It's about how we're expressing that anger and how we're greeting in a store or we're servicing the customer. It's all the same. So that is a great point because it's those are the skills that, that sometimes we're missing within. And when we are taught from coming from um, a family that has domestic violence, as you know, that is the way that we're taught. So that's all we know is to be mouthy or rebellious and you have to hear me. So it's very interesting. And another thing that I do, I have a forum and I allow each person to discuss what's on their mind and really express themselves. So, you know, some of them may be a little over the top, but that's okay because you're getting out that anger. Right. And here you are, you know, discussing what the problem is. And then you are, you know, you can relax within. 
and see that, okay, that person is not uh, being argumentative. So I do have the floor. I'm able to express myself. So that's good. I like that. Very well, that's, good. that's excellent that you do that. I think you make a very good point, which is in a lot of families, children aren't taught how to deal with anger. Anger isn't a bad emotion. Anger is telling you that something isn't right, you know, but it doesn't mean you have to explode as, as some people do is, is what happens in some families. Yes. So I'm going to go back to the book. Great. You have the book called Artifacts. Yes. So and it's short stories. Yes. Tell me about that because I want to make sure maybe those are some resources that I can include into my um, program and, you know, to, to help to help us, to help others and girls and young women to uh, read and be able to understand without judgment. Well, that's great. Well, I'll show you the book. This is a copy of the book, Artifacts okay. and Other Stories, so you can see it. So <laughs> again, there are 14 stories in it, and um, they deal with um, you know, love. They deal with relationships. There's one story called Kaleidoscope, and it's about a, uh, someone who's 30, and she falls in love. She meets someone and she instantaneously falls in love. It's about her friendships and what happens when she gets married to this man and they have children. And she says in the story that she's felt, you know, they're married about 15 years at the end, that she's felt that she's fallen in and out of love with her husband a number of times. In wow. other words, that love isn't linear, that many things happen in life that change how you feel, but you can go back to that initial love. So the story follows their relationship um, and how it grows and how it develops and the mixed feelings that we all have in relationships. Um, and there are a couple of stories that are about aging parents, um, mm -hmm. uh, an aging mother-in-law and framing the picture. And there's a story called, We Worry About the Wrong Things. I always like that title. Oh, tell me about I, that. <laughs> because I think, I think it's true. Um, that's about a woman who's um, middle-aged and she's going through a divorce. She has two um, children in college and she's actually a teacher at a law school. And her mother is is aging and is failing and is ill. And they've had a very rocky relationship. But she wants to try and um, repair the relationship now that her mother is 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 not well anymore. You know, she wants to resolve the relationship, to come to some resolution. So the story is about divorce. It's about ending a relationship. And it's about the relationship of the woman, Sophie, with her mother. Her mother's name is Harriet. They, Harriet and her, the husband live in Chicago, Harriet and Seymour, Seymour, who are the parents of Sophie. And she goes to Chicago to be with them. And she has some conversations with her mother where they speak honestly. You know, the mother says, you never tell me how you are. I I, I don't know anything about your life. And, right. um, and, and they're able to, you know, to broach that. And in the story, um, the character Sophie remembers how her mother had said, at one point, we worry about the wrong things. And what the mother had told her is that all her life, Harriet's life, the mother, she'd worried about the father. 
because his father had died of a heart attack in the 30s and she was always worried that he would die young. So she didn't want him to shovel the walk. You know, she didn't want him to do certain things that would exert himself. But in the end, she was the one who became ill, you know, who became gravely ill um, with a terrible cancer. And so um, her message to her daughter is that we worry, you know, we worry about the wrong things. And there's a scene toward the end in the hospital that I, I, I always found kind of poignant where the mother doesn't seem to be conscious. She's on a ventilator and the daughter wants to lie down next to her, but she can't because they're bed rails. And so she just kneels next to her and she's, and she says that all her roles in life fall away. Like it doesn't matter what it's like to be a daughter, um, you know, a wife, a mother, a friend, you know, all that's there for her at that moment is her and her mother. And, um, you know, so it's about the relationship and how they're able to repair it. Yes. But did they repair it? Did it get yes. repaired? Yes, they did repair it. I mean, at the end, I mean, the mother, you know, the mother is dying at the end, but they did repair it. And wow. um, so it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a journey and she's a grown woman, but it took her a while to, to appreciate things about her mother. And Absolutely. And that's another issue too. A lot of times when there is uncompromising issues between a mother and a daughter. And when I come to, and also I have to admit a lot of times our daughters want to grow up so fast and become women before their time. You're not understanding some of the advice that your mom is giving you because she has experienced that. Right. And then you hold this grudge because there's no understanding. And it's a shame that sometimes we wait till death is in the presence. And then we want to make sure that we can go and say, I love you and, you know, and get a hug. I'm so right. proud of myself because my mom was my best friend. Oh. And I'm sitting in this chair because of her. She was an entrepreneur and she, I mean, she was just an amazing woman. And yeah, she bragged about her accomplishments and I appreciated that because she let me know there never hold anything back and be proud of everything that you do. So, and I appreciate that. But when she was diagnosed with cancer, I mean, we had such fun and I know I had you know, family members who were a little judgmental because mom didn't want to put uh, that trach. She didn't want to have a tracheometry. Mm -hmm. So she just wanted to live life. And we gambled. I mean, she didn't give up drinking. She did give up smoking, but she just wanted to enjoy life. And she lived a year past from what the doctor stated. Wow. Yeah. That's but amazing. Yeah, and I honored my mom, and um, I tell you, I miss her today because I don't have anyone to talk to. Yeah. So I talk to women like you. <laughs> yeah. And I get all this advice, and uh, I take it all in and everything, and it's just beautiful, and I appreciate oh, That's nice. I'm sorry about your mother. That's hard. I also lost my mother, and I, I really miss her also. Yes, I lost my mom in 2011. 
Uh-huh. Oh, and I did in 2010. Oh, did you? Yeah, so it was around the same time. And even though it's, you know, one could say, well, that's a long time ago. It's not a few years ago. I think if you have a good relationship with your mom, you know, it never goes away. It doesn't. Her birthday is coming up June 11th. Mm. And I tend to get a little melancholy during that time because I'm so used to going over and we go somewhere. It doesn't, doesn't matter. If we right. Just have our girl day. And it's right. Um, I don't have anyone that I can go to and confide into like yeah. I did with mom. So yeah. Yeah. that makes everything, you know, a little weird during this time. But yeah, it's hard. The the anniversary the anniversaries are always triggering the you know the birthday and the day that your mom died. I mean I think those things are 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 triggering. Yes, yes. Well, I know we're um, a little short on time. Oh, we didn't discuss okay. so much. Oh, I I. Well, you know, it I want to say one. Oh, I want to yeah, just say I'm one more thing. Yeah, go on. It has been a pleasure having you on my show, and I do look forward to chatting further in the future. Is there anything else you would like to tell us before we go? Yes, I, I would love to tell you just a few very quick things, which is, you yeah. know, in the book, there are stories about online dating, about marriages, relationships, all kinds of different, different places in relationships. And I wanted to mention my website. Yes. If I could do it. (laughs) It's www.ronaweinberg.com. And there's more information about my books on the site. If anyone's interested and also, <clears throat> there's some of my Psychology Today essays. Okay, good. That is and it's, great. And it's actually been terrific to talk to you and to talk about these things. Um, yes. In a deep way. It's wonderful. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, listeners, I have reached my destination. I am an award-winning author of the new book, A Journey of a Sapphire. I hope to inspire others who are on their journey towards success to never give up on their dreams and how to recognize behavioral problems. Please visit journeyofasapphire.com to purchase a hard copy of my book, also available on Amazon and Kindle Fire. And as always, I leave you with this quote and do have a wonderful, blessed day. The meeting of two personalities is like the contact of two chemical substances. If there is any reaction, both are transformed. Carl Jung. Have a great day. And do stay tuned for the next episode on BBS Radio All Road 65 Max Radio. Cheers. Thank you for listening to All Roads 65 Max Radio with Pamela Henderson. Join us every other week on Tuesdays, 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on BBS Radio Station One. And please visit allroads65max.org and become a volunteer or sponsor and be the change you want to see in this world. 
With your help, we can make a difference in our society and uplift those who so desperately need our help. Thank you for tuning in.